Hey there, CEOs. It's Brandy, and I have just a quick note for newer listeners. This show used to be called the She Who Dares podcast, but on May 5th, 2022, we changed the name to the Wedding Pro CEO podcast to better reflect my mission, to help wedding industry entrepreneurs scale a profitable business they love. The content is the same, just a more descriptive title. Enjoy the show. Hey there, podcast friends. Welcome back to another episode of the She Who Dares podcast. I have a deep philosophical question for you. Do you have a hobby, a side hustle, or a business? That's what Brayden Drake and I are talking all about today on the podcast. Brayden is a California licensed attorney and tax professional. He works primarily with creative small business owners, and through his courses, he educates on contracts, business entities, cash flow, systems, and taxes. And we're talking about all of it today, you guys. Brayden does not hold anything back. We had so much fun on this episode, and I know that it's going to get you thinking about your own business and how your systems are set up and what your tax implications could be. So I cannot wait for you to sit back and listen to this episode. And hey, if you love this episode, will you do me a favor and screenshot it right now? right where you're sitting or right whatever you're doing. Just take a quick screenshot of this podcast and share it on your Instagram and tag me and Brayden so that we'll know that you loved this episode and we can keep delivering quality, awesome content to you every single week. So you guys sit back, relax. Here we go. Brayden, I am so excited to have you on the show today. I can already tell this is going to be such a great episode. So thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Always excited to podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so tell us all the things. How did you get to where you are today? And tell us a little bit about who Braden Drake is so that our listeners can get familiar with you. Okay, sure. So I'll give you some of my background. I'll keep it all I'll, I'll keep it a little bit brief to start with. So then <laughs> that way you can you can ask me the follow-up questions on okay, the, the, okay. the parts you think your audience will find interesting. <laughs> So I'm originally from Indiana, so Midwesterner at heart. I went to undergrad at Indiana University in Bloomington, where I majored in Russian and political science with minors in German and business. Very, very random. My interests are all over the place. Okay. And then um, I did a year of a master's program in public health. That wasn't really for me. And then I transferred uh, to law school and moved out to San Diego, California. I did law school, took and passed the bar exam. And then I got my master's degree in tax law. Mm. Um, So that makes me a tax attorney, technically. But I call myself a small business attorney and tax professional for creative small businesses. So that's the the, uh, very in a nutshell version. That actually explains so much in just what you (laughs) just said. Because I was like, I swear I thought Brayden was a small business attorney. But our topic today is very tax heavy, which I'm super excited about. And so this explains so much. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So what I'm help us bridge the gap between like Russian and German as your majors, right. Into going to law school. What made you decide to go to law school? Yeah. Well, my interests were all, they were kind of all over the map. So I was always interested in travel. I was interested in language and I, in undergrad, you know, changed my major like 15 times. I am a very strong Enneagram seven for anyone who knows anything about the Enneagram. This should not be a surprise. (laughs) They tend to be like the jack of all trades, master of none kind of people. (laughs) So I thought I would either go into international business, um, but I was also really interested in health policy. Like when Obamacare went through, I followed it very closely. 
So I was kind of in between, you know, doing something with like international business or doing something in like health policy, health law. So I ended up deciding to go to law school where I specialized in health law and I liked it, but the kind of jobs that I wanted were just not, they just like weren't really going to happen, right? Like I wanted to work in health policy, but I didn't want to live in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and I didn't want to do medical malpractice. So I was like, all right, okay. let's pivot. And I took one tax class and I really liked it. So then I got my master's in tax and I kind of went back to my international studies and specialized in international tax. Okay. But then I decided I don't really want to, you know, like help millionaires like shelter all of their money in the Cayman <laughs> Islands. That's not what I want to do for a career. So I started my own business and went into small business law and tax. And that's kind of how I chose my topic. Now, my journey to get into this creative space is kind of a, a different story as well. Oh, okay. Now you have us intrigued. So how exactly did you get into this this space? So while I was waiting for my bar results, I got a part-time job at West Elm, the furniture store. Love it. It's great. And while I was working there, I met a lot of interior designers. They also do pop-up shops, if you're familiar with those. So yeah. photographers would come in and sell prints and artists would come in and sell prints and you know their art pieces and uh, makers would come in to sell jewelry. And I had my own business. So, you know, I would strategically <laughs> network with them when my bosses weren't looking. Uh-huh. And uh, one of them ended up telling me about the Tuesdays Together Rising Tide Society. So I was like, okay, really cool. I started going to Tuesdays Together events among a lot of other groups that I was going to. And at this time, I knew my topic I wanted to help people with, but I didn't really have a niche. I also do Ironman triathlons and I do CrossFit. So I thought about working in the fitness industry. There are a few other like industries I thought about working in. But I found that creatives was who I clicked with the best. Like I don't really want to be like working with like protein drinking like muscle bros all the time. That wasn't really my vibe. I get along much better with people like yourself. So I started going to Tuesdays together and part of my business building strategy was speaking And I spoke, this is kind of the nice thing about being in Southern California. Within about six months, I spoke at about eight or nine different Tuesdays Together groups. And that really was what helped me start my email list and get my name out there. And it's just kind of grown from there. And now I'm actually the co-leader of Tuesdays Together San Diego. That's so crazy. Isn't that kind of cool? Full circle. Yeah. That's also how, you know, I got to meet our friend Renee Dallow because she was the leader of the LA group at the time. Really Right, as you know, Rising Tide is not a wedding group, it's a creative right. group, but it started out with Natalie, who's a wedding photographer. So there are a lot of wedding professionals in RTS, which is how I've gotten involved predominantly in the wedding industry. Oh my gosh. Such a cool story. And you probably never would have thought when you were even in law school, but surely in college, that you were going to be so involved in the wedding industry, really? No, not at all. But this is why, (laughs) you know, this is why I always tell people when it comes to finding a niche, like, Mm -hmm. you never really know, you kind of just have to let yourself stumble into it. And also, like, and I talk about this on my own podcast, like, to be honest with you all, like weddings are not something I'm personally passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not my like my husband and I, you know, we did something very, very low key. But for me, this is why I think it's the people that you work with is so much more important than the topic area in which you're working. Because although I personally did not like grow up dreaming about having this like fabulous wedding, I love working with wedding professionals or the type of people that I get along with and the type of people I like to help. And that's what I think we all need to think about more when we're thinking about like how we want to grow our businesses. 
I really love that you said that because it is so important. You think you might be working with one niche and then just as you start to learn and as you start to get out into the marketplace more, you start to just really kind of find the people that you click with. So I I love that you said that because you might not always know what your niche is going to be until it finds you, which is really kind of cool. Exactly. It's like some people want to get into like luxury weddings, but then you have to decide like are luxury clients, the type of people you want to work with. It's like a whole separate question, right? I know it's absolutely so different. And actually, since you brought up Renee, she was on the podcast not too long ago, um, just a few months ago. And she actually talked about this was a really hard thing for her was because she thought she was going to have one niche. And then she ended up having a completely different one once she started working with people. So it it does happen. So very, very interesting. I always think that's such an interesting topic to ask our guests is like, how did you stumble into the wedding industry? Did you know you were going to, or, you know, did you seek it out? I, I sought it out. Like I, I known I wanted to be a party planner since I could walk and talk. So for me, it was like, this is what I'm going to do, but not everybody has that journey. So I always find it so interesting. So thanks for sharing. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So today we're talking, do you have a hobby, a side hustle or a business? So tell us a little bit about this topic. Yeah. So this is a topic I like to talk about because I find, I find a lot of people have like very bizarre conversations on the internet about this topic. And I hear people say all the time, like, oh, well, I'm like a freelancer, so I don't do that. Or this is just a side hustle. Um, And then people talk about like, do you have a business? What does that mean? And at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, from a tax and legal perspective, the answer is very simple. But above and beyond that, I personally think what we call ourselves really matters just as far as mindset, you know, building a business to start with. Yeah. I mean, aside from the legalities, which we'll definitely get into, I agree with you. The mindset of it, I I personally don't know what it's like to want only to do something halfway. Like it's just not in my DNA. And so when people talk about, oh, this is just a side hustle, it's always kind of just going to be this thing I do on the side. It's so foreign to me, but it is about what you speak to yourself. I mean, is it because you aren't thinking big enough? Maybe, I don't know, maybe you just don't ever want to have a, you know, a big business, which is totally fine too. But I do think it's, it's a lot about what you speak to yourself. Yeah. I, what I'll ask people sometimes is that they tell me they have a side hustle. I'll ask them, I'm like, okay, so what you do in your primary work, if you have a salary job or whatever that is, maybe you have another business. Like, is that your passion? Do you have two passions? And if you have two passions, that's fantastic. Then maybe this side hustle, you always intend for it to be a side business. Mm -hmm. But the key to me is like, you still want to make it a business, right? So even if you have a salary job that you're really passionate about, I'll give you an example. Uh, my friend Rhonda, she is a book coach. So she teaches people how to get uh, fiction works published. But she also has a very well-paying salary job at a nonprofit. She travels all the time. She's very passionate about it. Um, she has like 10 more years before she can retire. And she's not planning on taking her business full-time until then. But she still treats her online business, her education company, like a business. And she does all the things she should be doing to grow it. And I think that's really the important takeaway if you, you know, are deeming it to be a quote unquote side hustle. So what does it mean, Brayden, to treat it like a business? Yeah. So to me, it means doing bookkeeping, right? Knowing your numbers, having a business license, getting an LLC, getting insurance, all of these things that you need to do, right? And one, another thing we can talk about 
is when it comes to taxes, if you're providing a good or a service with the intent to make money, the intent is all that matters. And the IRS (laughs) is going to consider you then to have a business. So if you have to be a business for tax purposes, why aren't we going to treat this income generating activity as a business and do all of the things to like, actually make it make money. And how, so for business owners that might be out there that are listening, because I know they exist, um, and you guys, it's okay. No shade if this is you. Let's just learn, okay, from it. But if they're out there and they've been operating, you know, I don't know, a year, two years, maybe longer, not like a business, um, what would you say would be those first things that they need to do to be a business, to start treating their business like a business? Yeah. So the the very first things that you have to do, I teach this concept called the layers of protection. So I say it's like layers of clothing. The number of layers you need are varied based on circumstances around you, right? But each layer, layers on top to add more and more protection, just like hat and scarves would in the cold, right? So our go-to layers are contracts, insurance, and LLCs. Um, While I think all three of those are ideal for everyone, contracts and insurance are what I call the absolute essentials. So everyone needs to have contracts. Everyone needs to have insurance. That's what you need to do on the legal side of things. You also should have an EIN and a business license. These are more licensing obligations, And then from a tax and money perspective, you should have a business bank account and some sort of basic rudimentary bookkeeping system. You could use a spreadsheet. I know that may have sounded like a lot, but ultimately (laughs) those like five, six things I just rattled off, you can get set up within, you know, a week or two if you put your head down and do it. Absolutely. And I definitely treated my business like a business from like second one, but I do know that there's a lot of people out there who maybe they are doing it as a side hustle at first, right? They're dipping their toe in the water to see if they can leave their full-time job. They tell a few friends, hey, I'm going to be a wedding planner. And they get a few jobs. And and they've just started operating it even with their own personal account. <laughs> um, yeah. What would you say about that? Would you say, yeah, that's okay as long as you switch at X point or really, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, I would just say no. Like, I would, I would just say no, to be honest. <laughs> I love One, it. like, and this is just a language nuance, but mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to think that a side hustle is bad because yeah. obviously, you know, you got to build up a profitable business before you mm-hmm. can leave your main hustle. It's just, I like to tell people to stop calling it a side hustle and start calling it your part-time business. So you have your full-time job, you have your business, right? So mm-hmm. You don't even have to call it part-time, right? I like it. It doesn't that. really matter how much time you're putting into it. The main thing, I don't want anyone to ever call it a hobby. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably already advanced past the hobby stage <laughs> and you're trying to make some money. So let's call it a business, whether it's part-time or full-time. So when it comes to the bank account, legally, technically, legally speaking, it's okay to use a personal bank account if you're still a sole proprietorship, but we don't want to do that. It creates like complications and makes your accounting harder. Uh, I'm an affiliate for Novo. They're an online bank account. And when I say affiliate, I get like $25 every time someone (laughs) opens an account. I'll take it. Uh, But they have a lot of competitors. They're all great. Um, These online accounts have no fees. They don't require any minimum balances. Mm -hmm. So you can open it in about five or 10 minutes online. And then you just put all your business income in there, take your expenses out of it, and make sure bookkeeping a breeze and also sets you up really, really well for when you're ready to grow in the future. Yeah, I think it's so important because otherwise you really don't know if you're making money or not. If you're just sticking your money into a 
into your personal bank account. It's like, I don't know how much I got paid. And unless you're keeping really great track on a spreadsheet or whatever it is that you're doing, you really have no idea if you're profitable at all. Right, exactly. And this is why... Like, this is why it, it makes so much more sense just to keep it separated. If like, if I, if you were doing everything out of your personal bank account and we decided to link it up to QuickBooks because you wanted to use that system to automate it and it's pulling in all your transactions, like how am I supposed to know if this Amazon transaction or this target transaction was a deductible business expense or a personal expense? You yeah. would have to actually go find the receipt in order to tell that. Whereas when I go shop at Target, if I need to buy something for my business, I put the little the little lane divider on the, what do you call that, conveyor belt thingy yes, on the register, yeah. <laughs> and I do two transactions. Yeah. And the business expense goes in my business bank account. When it pops up in my bookkeeping software, I know it's for business. I don't have to question it. It just gets classified. And I think a lot of people overlook they that aspect. They think that you know setting up this bank account is going to require more work, but you're doing it to make your own life a lot more simple. Yeah. I mean, I really can't say enough about this step. And I just think it's so important. My husband just recently started his own business and he immediately went to the bank, opened up his, you know, accounts. And for a hot second, I was like, what on earth? Like he hasn't even made (laughs) money in it yet. Why was he doing that? And then I stopped myself. I was like, wait a second. I did that. Like I started all my bank accounts before I was making money because I wanted to make sure the money flowed through the right accounts. So, but it it does seem silly. Sometimes you're like, wait, why do I need a business bank account? I'm not even making money. But when you do make money, you're going to want to have it there for the money to flow through. Yeah. And and also you want to know, like, if if we want to get really technical, I won't get too technical, but when you're (laughs) starting a business, you're not going to have any client income. You do have to contribute your own money to get the business off the ground. So if you go open the bank with a thousand dollars cash in accounting land, we call that an owner's contribution. So that's mm-hmm. you putting your initial equity into the business. Uh, that all needs to be tracked. And I typically like, I don't get into the weeds on how to do that. Basically, it's just, if you put the money in a bank account, uh, then a bookkeeper that you hire down the road or an accountant can look at that and track your owner's equity account in the future. But then you use that $1,000 to fund your business. And hopefully you won't need to dip into your personal finances anymore. If you do, you do another transfer into your business bank account and you want to run everything like very clean like this. Um, It'll save you a lot of headaches in the future. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is so good. Okay. So Brayden, we didn't talk about this question, so you can totally tell me you're not going to answer it. But just along this topic, I find it so fascinating. What about when people are talking, you know, using Venmo or people are so upset that Venmo is now taking credit card fees or you have to use it as a business account. So they switch to Zelle. Why should maybe we not do this? Well, so the fees, it's really just a cost of doing business, Mm -hmm. right? So we got to pay. If you want to take credit cards, you got to pay transaction fees. So I have a lot of students who use personal Venmo or they, you know, they use cash app or whatever. And it's not, it's not illegal. Like you're not going to, you're not going to get thrown in the slammer. The IRS Mm -hmm. is not going to get come after, like come after you. It's simply a violation of that program's terms of service. That's really all it is. So if you're using a personal version of Venmo to take client payments, then kind of your worst case scenario is that Venmo can, Venmo can shut you down, right? Not your business. They can just shut down your Venmo account. Okay. Um, Not like the worst case scenario, but still we don't want to do it. We want to use personally, I think taking payments via HoneyBook, Dubsado, Stripe, any kind of professional software just makes you look more professional as well. (laughs) 
it's interesting to hear that it's not necessarily illegal, which is helpful because I think there's a lot of people out there who do it. It just isn't at that professional. It's kind of like having an email address that's at Gmail, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. We don't want that. I mean, come that's on. okay. Again, that's one of those things. It's okay once you're getting started, right? right? I would say that you should get your own professional email account, like around the same time you like get your own professional website. Yep. So if you want to work like just off referrals and friends and family for your first year, sure. One thing I would say on the credit card fees is the credit, like, uh, never mind. That that thought got lost. Are you we'll, sure? we'll skip that one. <laughs> My editor will have a, a fun time with this. That'll be fun. Maybe we'll leave it in there, Brayden. Maybe we'll leave it. Yeah, just just leave it in. I leave my podcast like basically unedited. Um, my audience says that it makes me relatable. That's right. Exactly. Okay. I love it. All right. So what about the IRS? So does the IRS care what we call ourselves? Not, so they don't really care what we call ourselves, right? So they don't care about the language. What they do care about is whether they're getting their tax money. <laughs> so uh, that again, circles back to that, that intent. Do you, are you intending to make money? Like, are you intending to actually make a profit? If so, they want you to pay taxes. More specifically, they want you paying self-employment taxes. So most of us kind of have this intuitive understanding, even if you don't know the technicalities, that business income is taxed at higher rates than other income. Mm -hmm. And that's because on top of normal income tax, we pay self-employment tax. Mm -hmm. So they don't want us classifying this income as like, quote unquote, other income. They want us to report it as business income. And if we're going to report it as business income, then we should also be taking all of our business expenses as deductions. And one thing people don't know is that if you're reporting your business, as other income, you actually can't take business deductions, which might be shooting yourself in the foot when you're first starting out because you might actually have a loss. And so if you don't report it as business income, you're actually going to be paying more taxes when you start your business. Ah, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, it took us a while to show a profit in our business because, you know, we were paying ourselves a salary and we had expenses. And so, yeah, we were showing a loss for a while, which was great <laughs> because mm-hmm. of the deduction, you know, because of the taxes. So for us, it was great. But I do think that's an important thing to note is that you think that you're kind of skirting around the tax laws, but really you're probably shooting yourself in the foot because most businesses I would think are taking a loss at least the first year. Yeah. Yeah. And to put some context to this, like what's, I feel like in this industry, it might be like pretty normal, acceptable to put $5,000 yep. into your business before you really get rolling. Right. So maybe you yeah. hire a web designer, you do a few other things. And let's say you only make $2,000 that year. If you're not treating this like a business, if you're even going to report that income at all, a lot of people don't, which you know I don't recommend. <laughs> we want to go by the book here. You're going to report, people will report that as just like $2,000 other income. And now they pay tax on $2,000. Well, if you put it on a Schedule C and report it as a business, you have $2,000 in income, but you have $5,000 in expenses, which is a $3,000 loss. And that's yeah. totally okay. Um, the IRS kind of, I want to say they allow you to do that, but it's not going to raise any red flags for you to do that your first couple years in business. Okay. Now, w- if somebody is just starting out, let's say they're in that first year, because I know a lot of our listeners are newer to business. What, you know, does it benefit them to pay for a CPA to do their taxes to be able to get these deductions? Or do you think in those first couple years, that would be something they should do themselves? Yeah, this is one of those it depends questions. Okay. A lot of account, I think a lot of accountants will tell you to get a tax accountant right from the get go. 
I don't necessarily agree with that. There are okay. definitely some tax benefits that get uh, passed over if you don't have a tax accountant just because you wouldn't know to report them. But I think a lot of that depends on how complicated your tax situation is. So if you're coming straight out of college and maybe you have like a part-time job where you work 10 hours a week and you get a W-2 and then you have your business that you're starting that made five ten thousand $10,000 last year, like a tax accountant probably is not really going to get you that much extra in savings if you're doing basic bookkeeping, right? All you need to really learn is what you're able to deduct. And if you're doing your bookkeeping, you report it all. Ultimately, like under that scenario, you're going to owe little to no tax anyway. Mm -hmm. If you are starting a business and maybe you're a little later on in your career where you have a salary job, you're making good money, you own like a rental property, you have investments, Uh, Each of those different types of income and assets that you own add an additional layer of complexity to your taxes. And at that point, it's probably not worth trying to do your taxes on your own. You probably weren't doing them on your own before you you started the business anyhow. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. And honestly, I think accountants, bookkeepers, I've heard you mention bookkeeper a couple of times. These are all expenses, at least from what I've seen, that so many people in our industry say, oh... I'm I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not big enough for that or whatever. And I think that they miss the point of how much that person can save you by doing it correctly. Not only because we have no idea. Creatives have no idea how to handle their own finances. Okay, we'll start there. (laughs) But for the most part, so to have somebody else do that for you is a weight lifted. But also, I do feel like that they can save you so much money right from the beginning and helping you to really get your business set up correctly financially. Yeah, so I I have a little bit of a different take, but it, okay. I'm a little bit biased because I also like I teach these things in right. my paid programs, yeah. right? So typically, like in my program, which we can talk a little bit about the end, it's yeah. actually like launching the week that this episode is going to come out. <laughs> yeah, um, it's called the Profit RX. It's your prescription to build a healthy and wealthy business, okay. and I teach bookkeeping basics, and I actually recommend. Uh, inside the program that people handle their own bookkeeping until they're about $150,000 in revenue. And that's a fairly arbitrary number, but it's just based on the clients and students that I've worked with. That's the point at which the monthly expenditure like makes sense for the amount of revenue you're making and the amount of time you have. Um, Because a well-qualified bookkeeper is probably going to charge you three to $400 a month. And ultimately, the hardest part about bookkeeping is setting up the system. Mm -hmm. And after you set it up, it only takes you about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a month to do it. And... You know, you can do that on your own until until it's not worth it anymore. What I usually tell people is once you're at the point where you have to turn like one client away because yeah. you're like, oh, I have to do my bookkeeping on Friday. I don't have time to work with you. That's when it's time to hire a book. <laughs> that is good to know. Okay, so I'm intrigued, Brayden, because I cannot even tell you the number of times I sat in front of my QuickBooks crying because it wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. Mainly because I feel like I always have a love-hate relationship with QuickBooks because it's like, uh-huh. it. I love that it won't let you do those things because you're probably trying to screw something up. So it won't let you do it. But I hate it because I'm like, no, I just want to finish. You know, we ended up going with a bookkeeper. Love them. They're amazing. We talk about them on the show all the time. But I love this concept that you're saying, okay, if you can just set the systems up correctly from the beginning, then really it won't be that difficult. So can you tell us a little bit more about your program that's coming out? 
Yeah, yeah. So the program is called the Profit, the Profit RX. I'm it's a monthly group coaching program. So it's kind of like group coaching, a membership and a course all rolled into one. So I used to have a $2000 course that ran 10 weeks long and I revamped all that content, put it inside of this program, then I added more modules to it. So that's kind of the structure. We do weekly Q&A calls, but in module five, which is called account, I give very simple titles to my modules, (laughs) uh, you learn how to set up your tax system. So we actually do business cash flow in the module before this. We do like tax and LLC stuff before that. So by this point in time, you already know how much you're paying yourself every month, how much you should be automating for tax savings, how many bank accounts you need, all that kind of stuff. And then when we talk about accounting, I give you options. So you can either use a spreadsheet, in which case I give you a template as well as tutorials on how to do that. Um, I typically only recommend that to people once you know they have or up until they have, you know, like more than 30 transactions per month, or they're making like $20,000, $30,000. And then I recommend QuickBooks. And in the QuickBooks training, I teach you how to set up the QuickBooks account, which is really the key because you have to create, you don't have to, but I recommend that you create all of your rules that will automatically categorize your transactions. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is properly setting up your chart of accounts, which is a fancy accounting term for your categories of income and expenses. And once you do that, you can uh, automate it pretty well. And the other thing uh, that I like to do is I tell everyone, everyone should have a CRM. So I don't know, are you an affiliate for any particular CRM? (laughs) HoneyBook and Planning Pod. Okay, perfect. So I also use HoneyBook. So I recommend that people use a program like HoneyBook and use if you use HoneyBook to track all of your client invoices Mm -hmm. and just use QuickBooks to do your bookkeeping, that makes it a lot simpler where a lot of people get tripped up is once they try start to try try to start managing their client invoices in two different places. Yes. And you don't you don't need to do that. Use HoneyBook to track your client payments. Use QuickBooks just to do your bookkeeping. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that. We used to do that as well. I feel like we were trying to well, we were trying to manage all of that in QuickBooks even though our CRM could do it and it has made it so much simpler since we've switched it to have our CRM manage all of our payments and QuickBooks manage our books. It's so much easier. And I I think that we, I don't know if I was overthinking it or I don't know if anybody out there has had the same experience, but if that's overthinking it and thinking, oh, everything has to go through QuickBooks, but it really made it very confusing. Yes. Yeah. It is overthinking it a little bit, but it's because QuickBooks has a lot of functionality and Mm -hmm. you think, oh, I'm signing up for this. I should use all the functionality, but you don't need to. Uh, HoneyBook strength is, you know, client management. It's a CRM, client relationship management. QuickBooks strength is really just tracking your numbers. So the way we look at this is, you know, I hire Brandy to help me with my wedding. Brandy's going to track whether I'm making my payments on time inside of HoneyBook. Mm-hmm. And then in QuickBooks, we don't really care how much money Braden owes you. We just care once you get paid by Braden, now what we're doing with that income. Because yeah. from a tax perspective, accounts receivable, money that you're owed is irrelevant if we're cash basis taxpayers. So in QuickBooks, all we care about is money that we have actually been paid and money that we have actually spent. And that's all we're tracking. Yeah, such a much simpler way to think about QuickBooks. You guys, if any of you have it or you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for QuickBooks, that really 
simplifies it so much. What Brayden just said is you're literally just tracking money in and money out, but it is a really robust system. Most accountants use it. So it makes it super easy to share with your accountant um, once you are to that place. So I think that that's great. So Brayden, can you tell everybody how can they learn more about your course or where can they go? Yeah. So um, follow me on Instagram at Brayden Adam Drake. You can message me. We can chat about it. But I also tomorrow I'm going to be doing my last masterclass. So on the masterclass, I'm going to teach you um, specifically, let me pull up the title because I forgot it again. (laughs) It is uh, how to turn your business into a wealth generating machine by 2022 by next year. Uh, I'm going to help you make five key decisions to streamline your business finances. So actually on the masterclass, I have a tax savings calculator that I've created in Google Sheets. And we're going to run through that. I'll give everyone a copy of it. You'll figure out how much you should be saving. And then we do the same thing with my S-Corp savings calculator. So we'll use the calculator to determine whether you should be an S-Corp. And then we'll go through some other key notes as well on how to get you set up. Um, So to sign up for that, people can go to www.bradendrake.com forward slash masterclass. And I always have a problem with website links. So if you have a trouble getting, if anyone has trouble getting signed up, they can just message me and I'll DM you the link. Okay, great. And we'll make sure that the link to that is in the show notes as well. And so that is going to be on November 17th. You guys, that's the last masterclass, what Brayden was just talking about for his new course. And so Brayden, if somebody is listening to this episode and it's after November 17th, how long are the doors going to be open? Yeah. So the doors are going to close on Sunday, the 21st. Uh, interesting. I will share with you. This is why it's been very helpful for me to have virtual assistants in the wedding mm-hmm. industry because I've always done cart close on Friday. And they're like, Brayden, we're not checking emails on Friday. We're helping our clients on Friday. True. So it's like, all right, all right, let's do it. Let's do it Sunday. So cart close will be on Sunday. Um, but I will let everyone know this isn't going to be a traditional launch. Like you can still join after that. It's not like it's going to, you know, close for six months, but I am going to have bonuses and I'm also going to have a price incentive to get in before the 21st. So if you wait till after the 21st, it will cost you more to join and you might miss out on some, some other bonuses. Okay. So that's so good to know, but I do love that you're not doing open close. I don't know if anybody else out there listening understands how a launch works, but a lot of times it's like you can only join during these two weeks and then you just have to join a wait list. But so basically people can join anytime, but the price would just not necessarily be that first pricing. Correct. Yes. So if you're listening to this, you know, maybe you didn't catch this episode until a few weeks later, that's okay. Um, You can DM me if you have questions about it, but I should... And, you know, we're recording this in the past, so I haven't even built out my website for it yet, but I'm sure there'll be a button on there where you can like click to join and get all the information uh, wherever we are in the future. That is so funny. We're recording this in the past. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You guys, podcasts get recorded usually months in advance, so it's always so fun to kind of have to be like, okay, so tell us what it will be like in live time when this episode airs. This honestly sounds like it's going to just be an incredible resource, especially if you're in that category, like Braden talked about, that maybe under $150,000 in annual revenue. You know, like he said, that's not necessarily a hard and fast number, but if that's where you find yourself and you're like, I really want to be able to better manage my finances. I want to be able to, you know, turn my business into a wealth generating machine. 
I really want you to check out Braden's course this week as soon as you listen to this episode. And that way you can really get a great grip on your finances because that is the keystone to any successful business is knowing your numbers. Exactly. Exactly. One of my one of my core philosophies is that two hundred thousand dollars is the new six figure benchmark. That's yeah. where I think every business should strive to get. Because if we factor in thirty percent business expenses and twenty five percent tax, that leaves you with one hundred and ten thousand dollars in take home pay. And personally, that might sound like a lot to some people, but I think if you're really going to invest in your retirement and work on paying off debt and maybe save to buy a house. That's where we should all kind of strive to get. So my program is designed to help people get to that benchmark, $200,000 in revenue. And that's the point at which I say, all right, now it's time for you to hire a bookkeeper, hire a tax accountant, have an attorney on retainer, and you actually know enough to manage these people, make sure that they're getting their work done, and you can really go serve your clients and work on building your team. So that's our goal. So good. So good. Okay. So Brayden, you told us your Instagram a little bit earlier, but is that where you want people to connect with you most? Tell us where they can find you. Yeah. So follow me on Instagram. Um, I'm very lazy, so I don't like to type. So <laughs> I love Instagram because I send a lot of voice memos. So uh-huh. you can message me. I'll probably voice memo you back. Uh, I also have a Facebook group. You can go to Braden'sBesties.com and it will auto forward you there. And then uh, if you're on TikTok, I'm on I'm on TikTok. I got a Gen Z that runs stuff <laughs> for me. So it's happening. Um, but yeah, Instagram is probably best. That and my podcast, awesome. which yeah, we'll okay. put. My podcast has a swear word in it, <laughs> which we're not going to say on, on this podcast, but we'll put it in the show notes. That's right. We'll link all the places to find Braden. And I do want you guys to go listen to his podcast because it's really good. I've listened to some of the episodes. It is really, really helpful. And it's got a hilarious title. So I'm going to link that in the show notes below. And Braden, thank you so much for being here. I think this was really, really helpful for our listeners. Good. Okay. Glad I'm, I'm, I am glad. I hope everyone learns just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Braden. Thank you. Hey there, wedding pro. Are you feeling overwhelmed, burned out, and wondering how you will ever pay yourself an actual salary from this business you're building? I get it. I'm a wedding pro just like you. I sat in this season of overwhelm and no pay for way too long. Now I own one of the largest planning firms in Orlando, Florida, while doing less than five weddings myself each year. And yeah, I pay myself a full-time salary too. And I'm not alone. Hundreds of other wedding pros just like you have gone from overwhelmed to confident CEO by using the proven strategies I teach inside the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator. I tell Brandy all the time how grateful I am for her. Before joining with her, I thought I was successful and I was successful, but I was working 24 seven, barely making a profit. Now, over a year later, working with her, it's just been life changing. We have our Monday calls. I voice text with other wedding planners all over the nation. And it's helpful just to have someone that's done what we're trying to do. And that is what the CEO Accelerator Group has helped and taught me to do. Inside the Accelerator, you get lifetime access to the six step-by-step modules that walk you through the pillars of a profitable wedding business. The financial services spreadsheet that Brandy gives you as a part of the Accelerator is worth the price of the Accelerator alone. If you need clarity on finances, your budget, if you can hire, if you can even pay the people that you have hired, go get the Accelerator because that spreadsheet gave me the knowledge and power to make the decisions to continue hiring and 
and growing my team in the way that I want to. But what good is all of this knowledge without accountability, community, and of course, a place to ask your most burning questions? When you join the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator, you also get six months inside our live coaching membership. It literally has changed the way I do business. It has changed the way I view things. It has changed the way that I manage things. It is totally amazing to be able to sit with CEOs that have been through what I've been through, have been through the trenches and can give me the insight as to how they got through it. It doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the only person on the planet who feels this way. No, there's tons of other CEOs that feel the same way I do and we can talk about it, think through it and we can learn. It is absolutely amazing and if you're thinking about it, you should do it. The Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator is the best of a course, a membership, and a group coaching community all in one. The group has been so supportive and has really kept me sane through the busiest season I've ever seen in my career. For that, I'm really thankful. Looking forward to the next year and all the things I have to learn to grow and scale my business and super excited for the next steps. Here's the thing. You can absolutely listen to this show every single week to get nuggets that will help you scale your business. And over the course of a few years of piecing together all of that free information, you could very likely grow a successful wedding business. Or you can join the Wedding Pros CEO Accelerator today to get the proven step-by-step roadmap you need to ditch the overwhelm, build maximum profit, and step into your role as confident CEO all in just six short months. In 2021, we did 220,000 in revenue, which I was so excited about at the time. In 2022, where we sit now, our revenue came in around 560,000. Honestly, I attribute so much of that to really being able to grow. I actually no longer take on weddings myself. I'm really able to focus and be the CEO of my company. And that's come with a lot of guidance from the Accelerator Group, all of the other incredible CEOs in that program, bouncing ideas off of each other, asking for the help and hearing from other people and what's worked and what hasn't. Just click the link in the show notes below to learn more about the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator and let's build your profitable wedding business together.